This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Healthy Aging, providing you with the unique energy support of Pure NT Factor. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, whether it be age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor from Nutritional Therapeutics repairs damaged cells and restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half, and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years with a 45-day money-back guarantee of nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158. That's 800-982-9158. Or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and uh, the subject of great importance is how do we treat our kids from a naturopathic and integrative standpoint. We're talking today to the editor of an encyclopedic text about how to take care of kids naturally. It's entitled Naturopathic and Integrative Pediatrics. It is very comprehensive. It is nearly 800 pages long. It is full of references and very detailed chapters on virtually all aspects of children's health from uh, the prenatal period uh, through uh, pre-adolescence. And uh, with us is uh, Leslie Solomonian, the editor uh, Leslie uh, is an associate professor at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto. That's where this interview comes to us from. And uh, she's also the lead clinician at the Neighborhood Clinic. And uh, she's involved in a lot of community engagement. Uh, she's worked at health clinics in Kenya and Peru. And uh, she is really a mover and shaker in the world of naturopathic medicine. So, uh, without further ado, because it would take the entire broadcast to uh, tout all your accomplishments, uh, let's start talking about your text. First of all, uh, what prompted you to, to write such an un encyclopedic textbook? Is this, uh, is it unprecedented? Is there, I mean, it really seems to me, and there are lots of textbooks on adult medicine, but not uh, textbooks on natural treatment of children. Yeah, there really doesn't seem to be much like it out there. I just want to clarify that I, I'm the author, not just the editor. So I, I did have... Oh, my goodness. That's that's even more impressive because, it, you know, usually what happens is somebody uh, puts their name on it and then farms out chapters to uh, other people, yeah. you know. But, oh, that's... Yeah, so not to pump my tires, but, but just to, you know, it was a, a big labor of love. Um, there have been other attempts. There was one other textbook previously on specifically naturopathic pediatrics. Um, and it held it held the space for a while, and and we decided at uh, the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine that it was time for a a new a new project. So it, I'm, it's something I'm very passionate about. I didn't go into naturopathic medicine to pursue pediatrics, but as I parented, I have two children of my own, and and as I taught pediatrics, which I kind of fell into by default, it struck me how significant working with kids is. If we can help children establish healthy habits early on in life, if we can educate caregivers to provide the, the essential pillars of health to children, we'll go such a long way in terms of preventing the non-communicable diseases 
that we're plagued by in in our society. So to me, it's something I'm incredibly passionate about, less so the how do we manage illnesses naturally, although of course that's an important part of my work, but I'm really passionate about social determinants of health, behavioral medicine, how do we, in many cases, go against the flow of the mainstream in terms of providing our children with the natural inputs that they need to grow strong and healthy. Indeed. Uh, so. Is, is it a hard role to be a naturopathic pediatrician? Because it, it, it's hard enough for me uh, to do adult medicine. I do integrative medicine here in New York City. Uh, you know, you explain to an adult, the adult, you know, uh, there's either buy-in or not. Uh, but with a child, you have to treat the child. The child can't really effectively communicate. But you also have a lot of parental apprehension because... Uh, there's a big fear factor when people depart from conventional care for their kids. Uh, mm-hmm. Going to see a, a naturopath is sometimes, oh, my goodness, you know, you it, it, are you guilty of some form of uh, child abuse by so right. doing? I mean, literally, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I, I think there's an undercurrent of that. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I think compliance is a challenge, whether you're using natural approaches or not. You know, t- treating children is its own challenge, independent of naturopathic or integrative medicine. Uh, but you're also right. That's one of the biggest challenges around fear and the emotional intensity of parenting. And, and every parent is always doing the very best they can for their children, whether it's well-guided or not. So for me, my biggest focus is education. And and that really ties into why I wrote the book. I I spend so much time telling my students and telling my patients certain things. And I felt like, you know, if I could just get this all down in one place, I could probably save myself an awful lot of time. So whenever I do have a parent coming in, the classic example is fever management. It's so typical in our society Mm -hmm. for for parents to be told by their healthcare providers or, or just culturally to suppress that fever, to alternate acetaminophen and ibuprofen to get that temperature down. And so that's a really good example of an opportunity for me to provide education about what that fever is doing, what that fever represents for that child. I just had a family in today where that was exactly the thing. She's five years old. She's having fevers maybe once a month, no other significant symptoms. The parent's concerned that, you know, there's something wrong. So we just walked through, you know, it's not unusual for a child to get a a viral infection once a month. And the fever is a sign that she's coping with it well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I get a lot of It's like boot camp for their immune systems. They're sort of getting programmed by uh, the pathogens that are out there. We're not born with a a full complement of defenses against everything that's out there. our, Our immune systems need to learn. You got it. And that was precisely what I was explaining. And so when I took a look in her throat and she had slightly enlarged lymph nodes, but they didn't seem to be no no exudates, no pus, nothing like that. So I took that as an opportunity to to explain, you know, this isn't a bad thing. Her, Her tonsils are learning. They're trying to cope. They're coping well. She's got lots of energy. You know, there's no need to bring down the fever. There's no need to panic. Here are some other strategies that might help you actually support her fever, which is a really foreign concept to a lot of families. But when I explain what the fever is doing, what the elevated body temperature is doing, and what the consequences of suppressing that are, they, they, it seems so logical. So what are the downsides of taking uh, Tylenol? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's documented in adults that take too much Tylenol, especially if they're taking uh, remedies that contain alcohol and they're not eating. Uh, that it can actually sure. cause severe liver damage. But you know, what about sure. kids? You know, so-called yeah. children's Tylenol. 
Sure. So there's a lot of pieces to that. The first is that there's particularly with, with acetaminophen, there's a lot of emerging evidence around more the prenatal use of acetaminophen and the impact that that can have on neurologic development in children. And so I'm I'm seeing that as a, a reason to engage the precautionary principle. So mm -hmm. if we know it that depletes Tylenol, glutathione, it's not that's not great. Exactly, exactly. And so when we think about even something like a concussion, you know, one of the the recommendations for head pain around concussion is Tylenol. But concussions and concussive symptoms are in many ways mediated by oxidation damage. And so mm -hmm. why would yeah. we be wanting to do something that depletes that? So, you know, that's one concern I have. And, and we don't have a rigorous volume of evidence to, to say that kids shouldn't be using it. But again, if there are other things that we can use instead, I'd rather do that. But for me, the bigger question is why, why are we using it? And I always ask parents that when they say, you know, my child gets a fever every so often, I ask, what do you do to manage it? They say, well, you know, I give Tylenol and ibuprofen. And I ask them why. And it always stops them in their tracks. And they look at me like I'm nuts and say, well, because they have a fever. Mm -hmm. And I say, we've got to so bring it down. We've got to normalize it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I'm trying to sort of rhetorically ask those questions until they realize like, oh, actually, there's no really sound logic to this. So I talk about when to worry. You know, I talk about mm -hmm. if the temperature is really going yeah. up fairly high, which, you know, I have a higher tolerance than, than most. Mm -hmm. But if the temperature is above 39 and, and the child's not feeling well, then mm -hmm. I'm less concerned about the temperature because their body is actually doing what it's supposed to do. We'll, we'll translate that to American. That would be what, about 102? Oh, I apologize. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I'm more concerned about why the temperature is so high. I'm more concerned about what is the causative agent here. I'm more concerned about does this child need supportive care in terms of respiratory function, in terms mm -hmm. of you know possible sepsis. Mm -hmm. I'm not concerned about the number. The number to me is an indicator of what is going on underneath. So I'm less concerned about bringing the temperature down and more concerned about figuring out why the temperature is what it is. So when I explain that to families and they, they can accept that that seems logical, then I give them support and education about when to worry, when to call me, when to go to the ER, yep. and some supportive therapies they can do at home when they realize it's not something to panic about. So where does the ND fit into the care plan of a child? Because, mm -hmm. you know, clearly uh, there are reasons for heroic interventions sure. with medication and antibiotics, and it depends on where the ND is situated. Uh, NDs in certain states and U.S. Uh, have the ability to prescribe medications, maybe uh, in some cases limited, uh, and in some cases they can't prescribe medications. So is it reasonable to have sort of a portfolio of healthcare practitioners for your child, uh, a naturopathic physician for uh, education purposes and for dealing with minor things and prevention, and then an ace in the hole kind of uh, eagle-eyed pediatrician to back things up? Mm -hmm. I think that's a great strategy. And you're right, certain jurisdictions, so Oregon, Arizona, Washington State, those are jurisdictions where there's a really broad scope of practice for naturopathic doctors. And as you point out, they can prescribe the antibiotics, they're on, you know, health insurance plans. So they really operate like a primary care provider and, and they, they function that way. In Ontario, so I believe New York State doesn't actually license naturopathic doctors yep, at all. So Not folks yet. There Kind of going rogue. We're working in on Ontario. It. We are licensed. We're considered doctors. We have that regulation, but we don't have access to the the pharmaceutical um, prescribing that they do in other other places. So, what I recommend to my patients, I do have some families that come to me for primary care, and and I'm certainly trained to do that. I can order labs in Ontario, but it's not paid for by our universal health care. So, you know, I explain all of that. 
some come to me as, as adjunctive. And so they, they choose to see me for all the things you described, for prevention, for complementary support around the things that their pediatrician is offering. But even if they are coming to me for primary, I always recommend that they do have a relationship with a medical doctor for just as you described for that heroic medicine should it be needed. So in Ontario, I am trained to assess a child who's got an apparent infection. I can look to see whether there's a you know mm-hmm. swollen red eardrum. And if I think based on the standards of care that antibiotics are indicated, I'm going to then refer them to a medical doctor. You sort of know when to hold and when to fold. Exactly, precisely. And so for me, that's all about the right medicine for the right patient at the right time. In naturopathic medicine, we have uh, an algorithm that we call the therapeutic order, which basically talks about um, the aggressiveness, let's say, or the invasiveness of particular interventions. And so we start with optimizing conditions for health. We talk about good diet and sleep and all of those sorts of things. And then it moves all the way down into surgery and pharmaceuticals. And so there's a place for that. There's a time for that. And my job as a naturopathic doctor is to gauge when something is within my training and my scope of practice in my jurisdiction and when it's not. And when a pharmaceutical might be appropriate if I'm a person who can prescribe it or not, I'm trained to recognize when it's needed. So I really think that all people, there's a benefit of having a circle of care. And in my perfect world, if you were to ask me about my perfect world, I think naturopathic doctors are the perfect primary care providers for adults Mm -hmm. and kids because Mm -hmm. we have the training to, to do prevention. We have the training to diagnose, to assess, to refer. We have all of that capacity, but our approach to health is one that's very much about health promotion. We can treat very effectively conditions, particularly in children who are so incredibly vital and responsive to the things that we do very successfully. And I I talk about getting sick well, this idea that particularly for a child, as you said earlier, you know, it's a boot camp for their immune systems. So if I can support a child in getting through an illness in a way that educates their immune system so they're more efficient and effective the next time they get sick, that's a huge success for me. So I like it when kids get sick, which sounds really sadistic, I realize, but it's it's an opportunity it's to help. Yeah, yeah just to develop resilience, you know, mm-hmm. both emotional resilience, you know, we, we're all going to get sick, we have to learn to cope with that, but also in terms of immunological resilience. And, and so my recommendations aren't just about get over this infection and mm-hmm. deal with the fever and make the child comfortable. It's about how can we get through this situation so that the child is actually healthier on the other side. What are some of the supportive uh, supplements or interventions for a kid, say, with uh, an upper respiratory infection and a fever uh, that doesn't, that's not bacterial, doesn't require antibiotics? I mean, there's so many statistics around about uh, how frequently kids with uh, minor ear infections, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. minor uh, sinus congestion, uh, a viral Mm -hmm. cold, or even bronchitis uh, receive antibiotics, which are actually, according to very, very, um, detailed research uh, don't make a difference ultimately. They don't make a difference. They could potentially cause harm both in terms of the child's own microbiota, but also in terms of antibiotic resistance, as you know. So, so yes, very interesting that you ask. I'm actually have a Delphi study in ethics review right now to examine that very question around antibiotic stewardship and how do experienced naturopathic physicians deal with the common viral upper respiratory tract infections in children. So this is really good timing. Um, so some of the really common strategies I use, I love using hydrotherapy with children. So hydrotherapy is the application of hot and cold compresses to the body that actually manipulates circulation. So one of my favorites is magic socks. 
Um, we ask parents, and, and as a parent myself, I have teenagers now, they're the ones who ask me to help them put on the magic socks when they're sick because they, they know from experience how well it works. So by putting cold, wet cotton socks on the child's feet and then covering that up with a thermal sock, so wool or fleece of some sort, and then tucking them into bed, it helps to stimulate dilation of those peripheral blood vessels. So it drives circulation without losing heat. So if you go outside, of course, and it's cold, eventually your, your body will shut down. This is a very traditional naturopathic technique. Very it's not taught at all in medical schools. It's mm -hmm. something that was the mainstay of therapy probably in the 19th century. Indeed. Indeed, yeah, until heroic medicine came along. So that's always my first line of defense because if what the body's trying to do when it's dealing with an infection is upregulate circulation, increase cardiac output, increase blood pressure, and so on, then why not support that? So by putting these magic socks on at night, it helps to drive circulation, circulates the white blood cells so they can they can identify and, and deal with the infectious agents. And then of course, allowing uh, elimination of that via the lymphatic system. So, so that's the first thing I do. There's a whole plethora of herbs that are really helpful. And one of my favorites is elderberry. It's an antiviral as well as an immunosupportive. And I like it because it tastes good. And so uh, compliance is a challenge, particularly with botanical mm -hmm. medicine. Um, a lot of them are alcohol extractions, and so parents worry about that, and kids don't like them. So I like elderberry because it's typically prepared as a syrup, and it's very, very helpful. It's very tasty, and it supports the immune system in dealing with those viral infections. So those are two really good places to start, I would say, for a generic sort of antiviral strategy. But depending on where the focus of infection is, so for example, ear infections you mentioned, super common, assuming the tympanic membrane's intact, uh, there's good evidence for using ear oil, uh, which would contain things like mullein, things like that, mullein exactly, and garlic. And so parents can make that themselves if they're so inclined. But there's lots of companies that have them off the shelf. So I always advise families, you know, sort of to your question earlier, you know, what should the circle of care look like? Once I've established a relationship with a family and given them the preemptive education around what to do when your kid gets sick, I usually say, you know, if they seem to have signs of an ear infection, come to me first. Because I can take a look, A, to make sure their eardrum isn't perforated. And if it's not, I can, you know, coach you through using this, this ear oil and, and mm -hmm. you know, the wets and all those things. And I can also tell you whether or not it's severe enough that, a, that an antibiotic might be warranted. Because what we know is, as you pointed out, there's so many occasions where antibiotics are unnecessarily prescribed. And we've seen from the studies that often this is because parents are pressuring the doctor for mm -hmm. prescription because they want to do something. So what's lovely about naturopathic medicine is in that window of watchful waiting before antibiotics are indicated and hopefully never getting to the point where they are needed, there's lots that we can do naturopathically, naturopathically to alleviate discomfort, to support the immune system, and to resolve the infection. So again, elderberry, wet socks, there's other herbs, you know, vitamin C. I try not to overdo it, frankly, because mm -hmm. kids tend to be pretty re resilient. Um, for the general viral infection, and then depending on the focus, so if there's a cough and a sore throat, you know, honey goes a long way. I, I often advise parents, I mean, we know that honey is a good cough suppressant anyway, but I'll often advise parents to do a preparation with honey and onion and thyme. Mm -hmm. So thyme, the cooking herb thyme, is a good uh, antitussive. And so it's really nice to include in a homemade cough syrup. So Because as you well know, there are many of the recent studies that evaluate some of the over-the-counter cough remedies, right. many of which contain uh, Tylenol uh, right. or aspirin uh, or other uh, sedating uh, antihistamines, uh, mm -hmm. really just uh, knock kids out. Uh, but they, they actually don't make a difference in terms of the severity or duration of the cough. And, and the cough mechanism is not something you want to suppress. It actually helps clear right. mucus. 
Yeah. You got it. Yeah. So that's actually something I talk a lot about. I mean, I mentioned I mentioned fevers earlier. What is the role of the fever? But precisely, if your kid has diarrhea, there's a reason for that. Your body's their body is trying mm-hmm. to eliminate something that's a, a toxin of some sort. The same with the cough. And so if we can support them in clearing that that mucus, then that's a really good thing. So, you know, to your point, the over-the-counter medications, not only are they not effective and in some cases that can be harmful. And so honey really goes, you know, head to head with those and, and performs really well, of course, children over the age of 12 months with the honey. Um, but we can also add some other medicinal value to that by incorporating things like onion, which is a mucolytic and also antimicrobial, the thyme, which is an antitussive. And so incorporating both of those into the honey. But with a caveat about honey, I believe for really young children, right? There's yeah. something about that uh, botulism. Botulism. Uh, so under 12 months. Under, no, no honey for under 12 months. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, because of an immature immune system and the possibility yes. that there's botu, botuline, botulism potential botulism. from the honey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, okay. Great start. Uh, can you stay with us? Because uh, sure. I have lots of additional questions, which we'll take sure. up in part two. As our listeners know, we divide our podcast into two parts. So we're going to take up questions like, uh, do kids need to take? nutritional supplements on a regular mm-hmm. basis and what herbs are safe and popular for kids. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, the childhood obesity epidemic that we're facing. Uh, we're even seeing kids with fatty liver and type 2 diabetes. And we'll talk about uh, screen time. Uh, we'll talk about uh, also uh, how to keep uh, your kids away from toxic environmental chemicals that are so pervasive in our homes and gardens. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and our guest is uh, Leslie Solomonian. She is author of a stupendous uh, work, uh, Naturopathic Integrative Pediatrics, which is an 800-page textbook uh, available to the general public. I know that you know we have a lot of health practitioners who listen in, and they really should have that book on their bookshelves. But um, but we also have a lot of I call them wonky intelligent medicine listeners, and they may <laughs> you know if you're a parent or grandparent. Uh, it, it might be very worthwhile to order the book. It's available, right? It is, yeah. You can get it on Amazon, although I'm not a big Amazon supporter, but it is available to the public. Okay. And you have a website as well? I do. And it is? Uh, it is lesliesolomonian.weebly.com. Okay. Like uh, Solomon, King Solomon, with an I-A-N mm-hmm. on the end. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll be right back with more of today's interview on naturopathic and integrated pediatrics. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. 